reading a room and setting the stage. Y'all, if we could get better at those two things as event leaders, we would see phenomenal jumps in not only our guest engagement, but our confidence as the host of the event. And today, Jessica is going to share some secrets for how. I cannot wait for you to hear this. Inquiring minds want to know, how are entrepreneurs like us daring bravely to build a stage, ditch the sweatpants, and step up to the mic? How do we create our own transformative events so we can get our message out into the world in a bigger way that's not only profitable, but it's actually something we can be proud of? That's the question, and the answers are inside this podcast. My name is Sarah Pfeiffer. Welcome to Green Room Central. Hey, it's Sarah. I have an invitation for you right now. You can join entrepreneurs from across the globe who share a passion for hosting their own events. Become part of the community that inspires and cheers you on over at greenroomcentral.com. Today, I brought into Green Room Central Studios Jessica Crean, founder and CEO of I Can't Can Plays, an interactive experience studio dedicated to the exploration of complex subject matter through the lens of play. I Can't Can hosts live and digital play-based events designed to foster intimacy and creativity for individuals and teams rooted in games and storytelling. Jessica, welcome to Green Room Central Studios. Say hello to Lynchpin Nation. Hello, Lynchpin Nation. It's great to be here. Oh, thank you for uh, thank you for sharing your time with us today. I'm excited because this is an area that I'm sur- super like nervous about because I don't tend to be a person who is naturally like playful and fun. And you're gonna you're gonna help here uh, change my my mind on on all things uh, play in our lives. And and on that note, I want to ask you. What are some common misconceptions about the role of play in our lives? I think one of the big misconceptions is is that play is not for adults. Play is for kids, and then we grow out of it, and we can't play anymore because then we would somehow be like letting ourselves down, or it's such a vulnerable act that we who can we be playful with? We have to really trust people these days, and we can't just kind of walk up to people like when we were kids and say, hi, I'm Jessica, want to play? Like it's different now. Uh, and so I think so. there's a misconception around the fact that we can, in fact, ask people to play and engage in play, even as adults. Um, and also that play is always fun. I think folks think if something is hard, it can't possibly be play. But play is, is an engagement of self. It is an engagement with our environment. And so uh, it is very possible to be having an experience where you are feeling really playful and not necessarily lighthearted. And so I think those things get conflated pretty often. Um, And then also something that you said earlier, I think is a misconception. There's this idea that I am not a playful person that a lot of folks have, or that it is an an absolute way of being. And I'm much more playful now than I was as a kid. Uh, When I was a kid, I was extremely serious. And so I've really grown into my playfulness. and, And I think that that's something that we can all do. Okay, there's so many like barriers you just broke down there that we can play as adults, like we could invite someone to play. Um, with my kiddo, I notice often uh, just so simple, like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to go up to so-and-so and ask them to play. And it's just like very common and happens all the time. But that would not be something I would ever think to do, <laughs> uh, Miss Practical Sarah here. 
And then this other boundary of like, uh, yeah, that I have label, a label on myself that I'm not a playful person or that I'm a fun hater <laughs> and that I need to <laughs> remove those labels because the, the, like I'm living in world of world of absolutes and that's craziness of and then uh, the other one that you said was that uh, if it's work, it can't be play. And that like, that's also a misconception. And I think that's huge for me because like I told you, I'm a super practical, very driven person. And so I'm very serious about like getting the stuff done. And, and so sometimes I feel like play kind of interrupts that uh, line of thinking for me. There's one of, one of my favorite quotes about play is uh, comes from a book that I love um, by James P. Karst called Finite and Infinite Games. And he says, one who must play cannot play. And so I think there is a distinction around uh, consent for starters, uh, around the fact that like you can have somebody who is in, you can have two people in a situation and one of them can be playing and one of them might not be playing. And sports, I think, is a really great example of this. Uh, we call it game, we call it play, but if your livelihood depends on it, if your identity is attached to it, it's not necessarily going to be play. And I live in Philadelphia. I mean, the Eagles are based here. Like, Philly sports fans are extremely intense, and I, I would not say always playful. And so, like, I'm a playful reader, and yet I don't think sports are necessarily play. So I think there's a lot of ways in which play manifests in our lives. Mm, so good. Uh, so I want to tie this into events a bit here. And as a person who's an expert in play, uh, of all the things to spend your time on, why events? Why are you why are you combining these two worlds? <laughs> uh, so I grew up as a theater kid. Um, like you know, I'm sure we've got some some other nerds out there who are you know in the same vein. And I think the, what theater really taught me was a couple of things. One is the power of a good story. Story changes us, and we can be invited into stories, uh, whether we're the ones playing through them ourselves as actors, or the ones shaping them as a director, or the ones in the audience saying, "I see myself in this," or "I see my loved ones in this." Stories can be really inviting, and those are events. Theatrical events um, are are experiences. And so I think what that what theater taught me was that we gather, there's a reason why we gather and come to these places to collectively tell stories. And that can be a powerful and transformative experience. Um, and I think the other is that it is a ritual activity. We come expecting something different than we usually have. And so we find ourselves generally at events much more open to change or open to doing something differently. And a lot of times we even take on a role. Like I am just a fancier version of me this evening is a role. And so it breaks down some of our, again, these like little traps of identity that we hold ourselves to that could be holding us back and, and give us space to to be different and to take risks with, with ourselves, with our personality, with our identity that we don't always have. I think that's absolutely magical and key, what you said right there, because I see it in myself too. When I attend an event, especially an in-person event, where you can be fully immersed in the experience and the environment is really controlled for you, I do see myself or allow myself to take on a different role and perhaps a role I wish I had in my life all the time, like someone who claps and jumps up and down or dances or plays a game. I see that. Uh, I don't know if I noticed that that was a pattern until you just suggested it there. Uh, but absolutely, I do think events create this environment where we're willing to do, we're willing to step outside of our box. And so you're saying, then why not games in that environment? Yeah. And the social rules are different. Um, 
you know, he, it's easier. I think often it's easier at an event, at an event to meet new people because everyone is, is there with the express purpose of we all share something in common. We have an interest in X or we know this person who's the birthday, you know, person or whatever it is. There's, there's some element of purpose that brought everybody together. And so it's easier to find something to, to meet each other on a level if we, we know that we have a commonality. Mm. Oh, so good. So you you started by saying that you have you were a theater kid, and and so I want to dive into that a little bit, and I want to kind of explore how you think your theater background helps you as an event host. Yeah, I think that it has probably above all uh, instilled in me a malleability that I have found to be. Uh, really essential in in leading events uh, to be able to read the room essentially to say okay so we're not going to get anything done unless I can meet the group where they're at somehow um, and so I think what theater really taught me particularly improvised theater or immersive theater which I still do quite a bit of is every audience is different every group is different and if I walk in thinking that last Saturday's energy is going to be this Saturday's energy I'm in for a rude awakening <laughs> but if I can really be present with this group and take some time to breathe with them and get to know what the actual vibe of the space is it means that we can grow from there and it allows us to take I think a much bigger bounds in how we transform over the course of an event um, and I think it, it taught me it taught me the value, I think, probably of like a tight feedback loop, um, that the audience is a part of the experience. It's not separate from it. We're not, I'm not here to serve them totally. They're not here to serve me. We are co-crafting an experience. And as a leader in that, people are gonna probably look to me in some way or whoever else is leading this event. And so whether I want it to be the case or not, there's a modeling that goes on there. And I think theater really taught me that as well. No matter what, people are gonna be looking at you. They're gonna be looking to you for something. And so be prepared for that. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Uh, so many amazing things you just said there. Uh, but I want to I want to get something I want to pull something specific out of you because I, I bet a lot of uh, Lynchpin Nation right now is wondering, OK, so how do I read a room? Like, can you give us like a specific tactic that we could use that would help us? That is a great question, Sarah. I think the thing that comes to mind first is practice, um, which is a little bit vague and probably dissatisfying. So I'll try and go a little deeper than that. But I do think that it is a, it is a practice. Um, you can't like read a room once and get good at it. Like you will start to notice and pick up on a lot of nuances. So to I think be to have it to really have a mastery. And I, I would not say that I have a mastery. Like I am still practicing all the time, and sometimes I get it wrong. Um, but the act of doing it repeatedly tells me like, oh, there's just a little bit of nuance in, in the vibe of this room or, oh, there's one person who's angry and they're sitting right up front. And so they're like this. And so everybody around them is like this. <laughs> and so one of the things that I've also learned from theater is people's heart rates sync up um, over if you're at a live event. And if there's a critic in the room, uh, it is like literally people's, the temperature around that person is lower than it is at other places in the theater. People don't laugh as much because you can sort of sense that there is judgment happening. Um, and so I think you start to pick up on like, what are the pockets of energy going on in the room right now? And one thing that I found really helpful just in terms of relaxing enough to even be able to start reading the room is to find somebody with bright eyes and a good smile and look at them for a minute. And if I need, I'll find anchor points uh, in, an, in an audience at a lot of events or someone who I know I can turn to who is going to either let me know that everything's okay uh, and keep going, don't panic so that I'm not 
infusing myself with the energy of the room. Um, and that way I'm not sort of like blocking what is happening. I can stay open to, to the vibes of the room. It's not really a step-by-step, -step, but I think those things are, are key. <laughs> That's so good. But I think just the permission that you just gave us to, to know that this is a practice. Reading a room is something that uh, we're gonna have we're gonna be learning that skill over time and so give ourselves grace as event hosts as the leader who brought you know everyone together to know that uh you're gonna get better over time and it's gonna take time so yeah. that in and the and vibe is, gonna... is super helpful yeah yeah and the vibe will change like the you can read a room at one moment and we're gonna flip a page at some point and it's gonna be different mm, yeah no, and I think, you know, if I just like flip through my my Rolodex of like snapshots from events that I've been at, I agree. Yeah, I get, you know, I could picture like you were saying, like, you know, the person who's angry and their shoulders are like tense and they're on the edge of their seat. I can picture that and the energy around that person. Yeah. Or you, you called it the temperature. Uh, I, I am. That's awesome. Now that you're giving us like language. Uh, for the stuff that we're sensing is happening. I think that helps us, yeah, learn, keep on this like uh, practice of reading a room. Yeah, if I can add one other nuance to that, I think it's that there's nothing wrong with the person who's angry. Sometimes, sometimes it's, it really isn't, it also isn't, uh, they're not angry, they're just cold. You know, and that's why they're doing this. I, I, there's so many reasons that it, it, it can be really challenging to be able to read individuals and read a room at large. Um, but that person probably is the person who will benefit most from a little extra eye contact or a little extra something, or it's very at least worth the experiment of it. So I think the act of generosity in those moments of just assuming that, that people are, are okay or that maybe they came in angry and are really excited to not be angry, all of that is possible and important. Uh, huge there because... Uh... I love, I love to, to say like, you have to see the humanity in everybody and we have to go, if, if something's, if someone is kind of expressing themselves in that way, then we have to kind of take a step back and think about, well, what has to be going on internally in their life for them to be showing up in this way and uh, just kind of be honoring and, of that. And again, like see the humanity, like there could, there's, we have to, as event leaders, respect the fact that while our event is happening, you know, live right now, uh, and this is the most important thing in, in our lives as the event host, we have to honor and respect the fact that there's like so many other facets to this human and their life that could be going on right now that like pressures, that internal pressures that and external pressures that, that they're experiencing and that all of that is coming into the room with them. And, um, and, and not to say that in a way that makes it feel like, oh gosh, it's like, <laughs> that seems so heavy, but more just like awareness, right? Uh, and I love that you're calling it temperature instead of like kind of naming emotions because uh, temperature almost gives us this, uh, this, this hope, which it, as it should, that, that we have control over like where it goes. Yeah. yeah. I had an audience member recently for um, an, an event that I ran. She was on her way out after the experience and I had been clocking her over the course of the event. Um, and I was like, I think, yep, everyone looks engaged. Okay. I think we're good. I think we're good. And then as she was leaving, you know, she said goodbye. And then she stopped in the doorway and she turned around and she said, how do you sleep at night? 
Yeah, that was my reaction. Oh, <laughs> I was my. Like, oh, dear Lord. Uh, oh, my God. Did I... What did I do wrong? Was my first thought. Like, how Like how dare I charge money for this? Like, what, what does that mean? Uh, and so I half joked it off and was like, well, not very well, actually. Why do you ask? <laughs> and... Um, and she ended up writing me, she gave me a quick explanation in the moment and ended up writing me the next day. And turns out she wasn't, it wasn't a critique at all. It was just like, wow, this, this event hits on heavy stuff. This event sort of asks us all to hold space for each other in a big way. And people get very vulnerable. How do you take all of that in and, and, and not be totally um, crushed by it? And so it, it took that, it took the additional explanation of things for us to really be able to, to have a conversation about that and say, oh yeah, you're absolutely right. This is a hard thing. Thanks for engaging with me. That's oh. what makes it possible. Wow. Yeah. But wow. it was terrifying in the moment. <laughs> yeah. So you do deal with these really heavy things in your, inside of your events. Uh, how do you make that uh, alluring, if you will, like the, the act of like, personal growth inside of an event like how do you make it attractive to potential guests uh, i think play is learning um it's a great way to learn and very often we sort of think of it as uh, as respite from learning or respite from the things that are, are more serious in our life and my personal take is that the things that we are the most playful about um are often the things uh, the things that we should be the most playful about are often the things we take most seriously and in a lot of ways that will inhibit our creativity because we'll just stay in our strict boxes and so i think part of my job is to say creativity is a thing if you're into creativity if you want to think differently if you want to be evolving as a human being then you're gonna to have to shake things up a little bit because it just is, in order to grow, we need space. Um, and if there's no space in our minds or our activities, then there's no room for growth. And so those things are have to like really shove their way in. So a lot of what I do is create space. Um, and then a lot of the, the other half of that is modeling um, some of the behavior of this is what it looks like to learn or this is what it looks like to be playful in this world and setting setting a tone where there's there's no failure. <laughs> where you're not going to be chastised for anything that doesn't go according to plan because these are spaces of supportive chaos and we're sort of aiming for that. And so um, so some of it is modeling a level 10 of what it looks like to, to take a risk or to engage so that folks will know that it's okay to be a four or a five. Um, and the other is to, I think, hopefully create games that people want to engage with. Um, and activities that people want to engage with. So they're, sometimes they're seeing me do it first, sometimes they're seeing other people. Very often it's choice-based. Um, I do not think there's ever been a time when I have had an event where someone has to do something because what do I know? You know, I'm, I'm here to, to support and like you said, make it alluring. Um, and so a lot of it is to be clear about the rules, like here's how we're playing and here are your permissions. Uh, and permissions and expectations. This is the expectation for the game. Here are some ways you can play with that if that doesn't feel good for you. If that still doesn't feel good for you, hail me down. There are other things that we can do and talk about. Um, and so a lot of it is, is again, reading the presence of the people there, letting them know what they can do, uh, and then letting them know it for those who are like, that's not enough for me. Here's where to start. Here's the first step to do this thing. <laughs> Hey, I don't want you to miss out. Did you know that this conversation always continues inside the Lynchpin Nation community? It's a free modern discussion forum exclusively for Green Room Central listeners that will have a profound impact on the way you look at events in your business. 
get answers to your biggest questions, hear behind the scenes nuggets from event leaders, and get access to helpful templates, guides, and checklists as you start and scale events in your business. Be part of the daily discussion with entrepreneurs just like you. You can join for free over at greenroomcentral.com. I'll see you inside. Mm, It's so important, Lynchpin Nation, that you hear what Jessica just said there about uh, setting expectations. And and I think it, it applies whether it's it's a game or it's, you know, learning a specific curriculum, a more, you know, traditional way it without games. It's, it's being very clear on, on roles in the room. It's being very clear on what they have permission to do and not do. I love that. What's the first step? Uh, people, as soon as they arrive into your event, you're creating a community. And the first thing anybody wants to know when they arrive in a new community is how do I fit in? And so Jessica's modeling here very clearly how to set expectations. And I feel like that's like table stakes, number one thing to do when when people show up for your thing. Uh, and, and then to reset them as as you go because like let's say you've been you know teaching for a while and now you're going to go into a game teaching scenario like that's the perfect opportunity to reset expectations and the rules for how to fit in and play you know in this game so love everything that you just said there yeah, I think one of the, the things that people often do too in order that cl- like clarity is vital and it is also nuanced. And so I think like those of us, you know, we host events, so we get really good at this. Um, but sometimes there will be people, you'll still hear people say like, and now we're going to do the fun thing. And there's just nothing that makes people feel less fun than telling them they're about to have fun. It just, for so <laughs> many people, myself included, often I'm like, well, not me or prove it. You know, like we get a little bit defensive about it. So saying you are going to feel this way, people tend to, to shut down with, but saying like, we're going to open up this thing. We're going to explore this thing together. There's, there's space for them to bring themselves to it where they don't feel like they have to meet a certain, a certain emotional layer that is, that is being put on top of them. Mm, okay. Love that. So on top of all the list of things that we you know, say in our expectation setting, one of them to not say is this is how you're going to feel because right. yeah, that just gets what uncomfortable we know? Yeah. for people. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We, I don't know how anybody's going to feel. What I, yeah, I can tell them what we're going to do. I can tell them the what. I can tell them the why, but I can't tell them how they're going to feel. Mm, okay. Awesome. So all of this stuff is is a lot about intimacy uh within an event and and fostering that and i want to dive into how games uh are able to help us foster even more intimacy within an event yeah games are like events within events um you know like you are at an event you've come for a purpose and the game says right now there are going to be some additional rules and structures and permissions granted, and possibly even some very specific roles but that you get to play. Um, and a lot of what I do is have people play with their own identity. So like, you are not gonna be Queen Sarah in this, 
you're going to be, you know, a version of Sarah that is often confused by how to keep plants alive. And so like, that's going to be a core part of your identity in this. And we're going to explore that together or whatever it is. It's, I don't know that we've ever done. That is often an (laughs) an identity that I take on is like, how do I keep this plant alive? Um, So this is this hitting home for me. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So a lot of it is just exploring facets of ourselves that we don't always get to explore. Um, And I think we are so used to engaging with, uh, there are so many layers to this, right? Like if I'm running a public event, it's how do we contend with strangers or how do we present ourselves to people who we don't know? When are we performing? When do we break things down? What does it take to do that? How do you build trust? Um, And if I'm working with like smaller groups, I do like coaching with individuals. I also work with teams, all kinds of things. And that's very different because a lot of teams, uh, if they've been working together for quite some time, they know each other in a very specific context, in very specific roles, and with very specific dynamics that have built up over time. The culture has been layered on top. There's there's already so much going on there. And so uh, play says uh, no to a lot of that. Play says we're going to try something else. Um, and you're going to get to be somebody else. And it's, it is deeply humanizing um, to see folks take on something, take on a role that you haven't seen them take on before. Um, or to campaign together. I do a lot of uh, role-playing and sort of building role-playing games with folks. And so you get to just say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a warrior in this, or I am not usually the one to be at the front lines, and this time I'm going to just give this thing a shot. And suddenly everybody's rooting for you because you're campaigning together. And it's weird and exciting to see, you know, Jenny from HR wielding a battle axe. Uh, and they're not always, I mean, I, I tend to run very pacifist games, actually. Um, but I think it's it's like a, a nice touchstone for folks is you can you can really take on something new and unexpected and you just end up learning about people um, and having these kind of fiero moments together where you really get to celebrate your accomplishments in a way that I think gets lost uh, very often among teams or there is a formal celebration of what we've done, but not necessarily a deep or intimate celebration of the, the work that it took to get something done and every individual's contribution to making that happen. So I think games create a lot of space for that. And they also create a lot of space for us to think about um, how we present in the world. A lot of the games that I create and run are, are philosophy based. Uh, so it's very much like, who who are you actually? What are your values? <laughs> what is it that you find really important to talk about in the world? What is a universal truth to you? And so it opens up a dialogue for these these deep questions that we can often feel as teams or as as a, as an event as a group, but we don't have the language for, or we haven't had a chance to really go deep because why would a team spend their time talking about universal truth if they don't have to? In what world is that relevant? And it ends up being relevant, and we end up surprising ourselves, and that level of surprise is profoundly bonding. Oh, that's uh, I love that. Uh, but I, I'm such a practical uh, person, and so I kind of want to know, in a virtual setting, how how do you? Because you typically use board games, right? Like analog board games. Like how do you, how have you been making that work? Uh, yeah, the act of translation is one of my favorite things. So I geek out on it. I think is the short answer. Uh, the question of like, can this thing be done? Is exciting to me. Uh, The first game I ever made came from the question, can I make an infinite tabletop game? Can I make a game that never ends? And so, uh, so I've definitely been like leaning into the nerdery on that one. Um, I think Zoom has a lot of affordances. Uh, One of them is uh, there are some things you just can't do in person, like send a DM and have nobody know that it has happened. 
If you're passing notes during a board game, everyone's going to know who you're conspiring with. Uh, if, you're, if you're doing this on Zoom, no one's going to know. Or you can send messages to me personally to say like, okay, I want to try this thing. Or like, how does this sound? You can check in. You can actually build safety in a lot of ways that you wouldn't be able to in a more public setting. Uh, so there are definitely ways to sort of say, okay, what can this thing do that the real world can't do? And how can we use that as a tool or what we call game mechanics, the actions that players take? Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> instead of you're like instead of oh uh, uh, what are all the ways this is not gonna work <laughs> you're like oh starting with uh what are all the cool things that we can do now that we couldn't do before you know my yeah. one of my favorite uh you're gonna i don't know if you think this is cheesy or not or like so uh s small fry game but one of the like favorite things that happens during virtual events uh, for me that feels very safe and playful uh, at the same time is uh, scavenger hunts because we are all sitting now in like a room with props and and <laughs> so we can go ask people to like as an icebreaker to go run and grab something and then like talk about it in a breakout room right and how fun is that? And that's not possible in a boardroom uh, per se, right? Like I would not be able to go grab like <laughs> that piggy bank behind me and bring it up and like share the story that it's like from childhood and it's Fisher Price and isn't it fabulous? And just, they don't make things like this anymore. I don't get to have that conversation because yeah. I don't have it. Like I can't like show and tell it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, this this world we live in is so personal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> these are these are prop books. Mm -hmm. Like the, these are just some of my favorite books. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is like, oh yeah, I love talking about books. And so this is ideally a signifier to like, mm -hmm. hey, come talk to me about books. I'm mm -hmm. down. Yeah, there's so much we can do. Oh, I love that. So, uh, let's let's talk a little bit about uh things that you take away from events. I think you and I share a similar love for uh swag but not in the sense of like a throwaway pen but in the sense of something meaningful and so what are your thoughts on artifacts swag talismans that you take that the guest would take with them after an experiential event yeah i think there's a lot of ways to do it and my favorite so far uh, is a takeaway for something that has already been imbued with value over the course of the event um, so it's not like coming out in an event and seeing like, oh, cool, water bottles, although water bottles are great, um, but something that you are, are using over the course of the experience. So by the time you leave, you don't want to part with it. Um, there's a, a, an, an event that I run uh, right now where people have the choice at the end to essentially keep this artifact that they've been building this connection with and filling with their own secrets and perceptions of them from others over the course of this uh, of the experience and they have to make a choice at the end about whether they want to keep those things or what it would take what it would mean to sacrifice them into into the void and, and what would come from that and so i think something like that that is both attached to people's agency um and also is is valuable to them at that point is is something that is worth holding on to I think they also things that trigger are I'm a very associative, associative thinker. And so when I see things around me, I'm immediately transported to the place where I got them or the people that I was with. And so the things that fill me with joy or pride or like, oh, I, I took a risk the day I got that lip gloss or whatever it is, then I feel that way again. And if I want to be able to trigger that feeling in myself, um, then artifacts are, are really helpful for that. And so I think the things that, that make us feel really feel something when we look at them are the, the artifacts that I, I find myself very interested in. I couldn't agree more. Uh, love that. 
So as we wrap up here, I want to I want to go into a lightning round if you're if you're willing, uh, and ask you a few questions just to get your quick uh, quick answers on each. So the first one is, what do you say to yourself backstage versus on stage? <laughs> what a great question. Uh, usually I'm dancing backstage, to be perfectly honest. Uh, like just got to get my body moving. <laughs> but I think that the talk is just like love, love them. Whoever's out there, just love them. Uh, they're worth it. You're worth it. Everybody showed up. And so don't pay lip service to showing up. Really show up. Mm, huge, hugely powerful. Uh, share your best tip for filling events with Lynchpin Nation. Oh, this is so not a tip. I, I'm going to say it anyway. Um, spend time with the people that you want to reach. Uh, it's not about everybody. It's not going to be for everybody. And the best way to grow an audience, I think, is having people who are going to do the proselytizing for you because you've done something for them. So what can you do for these people? And then find the ones who are going to be, be your diehards. Easier said than done, but valuable. Right. Yeah, it works. Uh, what is your favorite moment at events you host? I think it, it is probably the moment after an event has ended when I get to find out if it worked. Cause usually I can tell, but, oh, this is so egotistical. Yeah. I think I like the, the, the confirmation, uh, that the experiments has has worked for some folks or there's some or they'll tell me things that they were thinking and so it, it's a, it's a way for me to check my own narratives i think is actually what i really like about it is to find out like okay what was this person thinking or that person you know on that table over there like i heard her ask some seriously interesting questions and i'm not actually sure if it was because she was questioning the materials or deeply engaged and so being able to get those checks sort of helps me to to build things for the next time and so yeah that that transition space between here's what was and here's what could be is very alive and electric do you use that time to like check in with guests one-on-one personally yeah 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 absolutely what's the best thing about hosting your own events it's it's probably similar. It's probably the chance. It's the it's a chance to run an experiment, um, something that I believe in, something that I I am deeply interested in, and it's all interpersonal and interdependent. Like I can't do games don't play themselves, um, and play we can play with ourselves, but the best play is with others, and and so it, it's all an experiment. Like how how can I learn something? How can I get better at creating spaces that feel playful and transformative for folks? It's the unknown. I like the unknown, even though it's scary. It's very scary, but uh, it's, it's where the best thing ha- things happen. I'm noticing you're using the word experiment uh, intentionally. Am I right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I have a hard time with absolutes. Mm. And so experiments feel very open-ended. It also gives me permission to make mistakes. It gives me permission to set aside some of my perfectionist tendencies. I'd say sometimes I'm just a perfectionist and sometimes I'm a recovering perfectionist. And so an experiment really helps with that. It says, this is one of many. This isn't the event of my life. Oh, (laughs) I want everyone (laughs) to just like underline that one in their notebooks right now. uh, experiment. Uh, this is an experiment. Okay. I would love to know what you're reading right now. Oh, probably like six things. Um, 
I am reading a book by Ken Liu, uh, which is, it's a novel of his. Um, I can pull it up in a second, but, but I'll, I'll hawk at one of his other books for a second. I, I just finished The Paper Menagerie recently and have been just low-key obsessed with this book. Um, I also just finished uh, Mushroom at the End of the World, which was fascinating. Look at the relationship between mushrooms and storytelling and capitalism and people. Um, fascinating. And I am also reading The Practice of Groundedness right now by uh, Brad Stolberg, which is, uh, yeah, I feel seen with that book. Aww. That's awesome. What uh, what have you got going on right now, Jessica, that Lynchpin Nation should know about? Uh, yeah, I think what I've got going on right now is um, is some event hosting that I'm doing and looking to do some more of. So I, I wrapped up a large project in December and am looking to get into some uh, some a bunch of different kinds of events. And so I'm, I'm finding myself with the space for the first time in months to be running more online events for organizations and individuals. And in uh, in hopefully the next month when Omicron dies down we'll be back to uh, some live performances on new york's lower uh, lower east side at a place called caveat for an event that i've been running there for about nine months oh excellent excellent and yeah. uh where's your favorite social spot for people to uh, bump into you uh i am probably this isn't well it is a social spot but i'm probably on email the most and slack <laughs> uh but i can be found on instagram and twitter and i check those things regularly starting in six days when my uh self-imposed social media detox is done <laughs> <laughs> we all need one of those every once in a while I will link uh, link all those up in the show notes so folks can find you. Uh, Jessica, this has been a, an absolute treat, and I'm so thankful you joined us here today. Thank you very much. Thank you, Sarah. It's been a pleasure, and thank you, Lynchpin Nation. It's been awesome, and I, I hope to be able to, to engage and connect further. Thank you for listening to the Green Room Central podcast. If you love this episode, then please take a screenshot on your phone and post it to Instagram and be sure to tag at Sarah Faefer and let me know why you liked it and what you'd like to hear and who you'd like to hear from in the future. That'll help me know what to create for you. And also, if scaling events in your business sounds like something you want to tackle in 2022 and you need a coach, let's connect to see if one-on-one coaching is for you. Just go to thegreenroomcentral.com and you and I can work together one-on-one throughout the course of the year and deep dive into the inner workings of your events and business. You'll receive mentorship, personalized feedback, and customized guidance to define your goals and achieve your next level of success. Go to greenroomcentral.com right now to apply. Now, in case you're curious, this podcast is built on Kajabi. I am absolutely loving how easy it's been to get things set up, but more so I'm thrilled that my entire business is run within one platform, from my emails, to my pages, to my courses, and now to my podcast. It's all under one roof. If you love simplicity and scalability as much as I do, then I want you to go to greenroomcentral.com right now to get a free 14-day trial from Kajabi, who I am thrilled to say is a sponsor of this podcast. I appreciate your commitment to leveling up and learning the mindset and strategies of live events. I want you to keep going. 
keep learning. And if you want more, head over to greenroomcentral.com for show notes and all the links from today's episode.